Well, it was an incredible first in my life. It was the summer of 1995, and I was out in the seats with my sister and my brother-in-law at my first ever rock concert. And it was the first time I had really seen a, a rock drum solo in my life, and I was amazed. Of course, it would still be another year before I actually started playing. So while I was impressed with everything that was going on and the, the rumble of the drums and the, and the guitars and all that sort of stuff, it left me little to be inspired by simply because I didn't know the first thing about drumming yet. I would learn that until the next year and then keep learning it for the next 25 years after that. But I had nowhere to go with this new experience that I was having that night as much as I enjoyed it. You ever been left with that, so what's this got to do with me taste in your mouth? We can see or read something on the same scale, even if it's not a rock concert, and we're left unchanged. It's like I'm, I know I'm supposed to be inspired by this or, or moved by this, but I don't have a clue what to do with it. It can feel that way reading the Bible even. It's like, way to go, Jesus. So what? It's okay. Honestly, I've done it myself as I, as I read through, and I've been doing it for... 20 plus years now. Today is no different. <laughs> and seeing that um, we have another miracle healing story today, just after the one that we did last week where we were talking about the centurion's servant who was healed with a word that Jesus gave, we see another healing story. But if you're like me, you're not spiritually gifted with the ability to make the paralyzed walk again. And uh, so what do we do with this besides give the obligatory golf clap? You know, way to go, Jesus. Good job. On with our life on Monday morning. This time, the story gives us an idea. Let's check it out. Maybe you've heard this one, heard of this one at least before. It comes out of Matthew, um, Matthew 9, verses 2 to 8. Here it goes. Just then, some people were carrying a paralyzed man lying on a bed. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. Then some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. But Jesus, perceiving their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Stand up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he then said to the paralytic, Stand up, take your bed, and go to your home. Then he stood up and went to his home. And when the crowd saw it, they were filled with awe, and they glorified God who had given such authority to human beings. Well, similar to what we were experiencing last week in our story, Jesus is attracting a crowd. Last week we were talking about what Jesus did after he had given his Super Bowl sermon on the Mount uh, in Matthew 5-7, through and that crowd is continuing to grow. And we don't see it so much in Matthew's version that I just read here, but the story actually has a version that's written in three different Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, called together the Synoptic Gospels. And Mark says that there is barely any standing room around Jesus as this scene is taking place. And four men are trying to bring a paralyzed friend in on what amounts to a stretcher. Consider how hopeless that scene must have appeared to these four guys who are trying to, to get help for their friends, probably to the point <clears throat> where they could barely even see Jesus through the crowd. And yet they work their way through. And when they can't get into the house where Jesus is, they go 3D. They go up to the top and they go down through the roof, lowering him, cutting a hole in the roof and lowering their friend down. 
They had an all-or-nothing faith that Jesus could do the job, that Jesus could heal their friend. And he does. But not in the order that one might expect. As we see back in verse 2, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, son. Your sins are forgiven. It's like, Jesus, you know this guy is paralyzed, right? Why go for the forgiven part first? Now, culturally, there may be some presumption going on with the crowd that we see in John's Gospel, in John 9, 1 and 2. As he walked along, he saw a blind man born from birth. And the disciples asked Jesus, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, it's often thought within this culture that disability was a direct result of sin. In that case with John, that there was sin either with the man or his parents, and thus he was born blind. Well, in this case, it's like there's that assumption, if you will, or presumption that the man is paralyzed, so somebody must have sinned that he is paralyzed, maybe even him. Now, to be sure, there are times when this could very well be true, but I don't believe it's always the case. As Jesus responds to uh, that whole part about the blind man in John 9, 3, he says, Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned, causing the, the blindness. He was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. So there's a, a case that faith in Jesus demonstrated that all they went through to get to him, to get through the crowds and to get their friend to him, was a sign of saving faith. And consider this. They're going all in. They're betting the farm on Jesus' ability to heal. That's an image of faith that saves, right? To go all in on Jesus' ability to heal. In this case, it's heal physically, yes. But Jesus offers the same healing spiritually. In this case, I think Jesus has one eye on the crowd as he is doing this first healing. Almost like he's baiting them. Almost like he's tempting them to, to go after, to catch on this point of that he's choosing to forgive first. <coughs> or really that he's choosing to forgive at all. Because he knows what this Jewish crowd is going to think. Only God can forgive sin. And if that's true, only God can forgive sin, then Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. It's like he's subtly starting to lay his, the foundation for what happens that Lent leads up to when he lays the foundation for his work on the cross. A sacrifice that would only be effective if he is God. And the crowd eventually takes the bait and they call Jesus out. See, even with words, there's no proof of for, to forgiveness. That Jesus could, Jesus could say the words, your sins are forgiven, but he could claim that he's forgiven, but it's not like a physical sign that he's done so, that there's evidence in a physical change in this man that he is now forgiven. If only he could make the paralyzed person walk as a demonstration of his power. Hmm. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he then said to the paralytic, Stand up, take your bed, and go to your home. And he stood up and went to his home. Incredible story. Incredible display of power that Jesus has. But it ultimately begs that question that I began with. Where does this leave us? Those of us who don't have the supernatural gift of being able to magically heal people like that. Or what seems like magically heal people. Now again, there are some, there are doctors who can do incredible things with healing a body. 
I don't have even anywhere close to that skill level. Personally, I'm not one of them. So what do I do practically with this story? Well, maybe I can't heal a body miraculously like Jesus does. But I can forgive. In fact, Jesus calls us to do this in our own lives. When he says in Matthew 18, verses 21 and 22, Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, Not seven times, but I tell you, seventy-seven times. See, a person's salvation doesn't lie in our hands the way that it did for Jesus. But here's the truth. Forgiven people forgive people. May, I realize this may be a, can't I just make the paralyzed person walk? I mean, that would be just so much easier to do in some cases. And there are many cases I get that. There's many hangups that we can have when it comes to forgiving somebody. Because forgiveness usually comes in the context of hurt and pain and having something to forgive. C.S. Lewis even said, everybody, everybody says that forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. Perfect call, C.S. Lewis. So let me answer one question that can help us be healed even more than paralyzed faith. How do I know if I've genuinely forgiven somebody? Ultimately, that question kind of can put us at, at ease. This is one time, I don't often do this, but this is one time where I'll ask you to check your feelings. Because forgiveness is a choice, right? Forgiveness is an action, which comes really independent of our feelings. But feelings can inform how genuinely we have forgiven another person. So we ask ourselves, maybe, do I still expect my offender, whoever I'm having to forgive, do I still expect them to pay for whatever wrong they've done to me? Do I still have bitter feelings toward them? Do I still have vengeful thoughts? Or can I think about the person and actually honestly wish them well? If you answer no to those questions or that you can wish them well, then for the moment, I'd say you're good. But if you can't or if you hesitate, for <coughs> first off, don't beat yourself up. And make the choice to forgive again. It may be a choice that you have to make every day. That's okay. But if you're even asking the idea, have I truly forgiven this person, whoever it is that may come to mind, I believe you're in good shape. Because the danger comes when we don't care if we've forgiven or not. That's when we know we've gotten maybe callous to it. And that's where a heart, what the Bible calls hard-heartedness starts to set in. It becomes a lot harder to have that transformation that Jesus calls us to experience. But when we need to make that decision to do so, to do so again, God empowers us to do so. So my prayer for you is that you get this started. Because whoever it is on your mind that when I said the idea of forgiveness, they popped into your head. See, forgiveness can be a day-by-day -day thing. Welcome to the life on this side of heaven. That's just sort of the way it is. But things that, the things that happen when forgiveness takes place gives us a real nice view of what the other side of heaven looks like. Let's pray together. God, thank you for forgiving us through your son, Jesus. And though it is hard, thank you that he gave us the call to pass that forgiveness on to other people. 
that forgiven people forgive people. So give us the courage, give us the strength to do that, to forgive our neighbors when they, when they hurt us, when they sin against us. And let us experience that joy and abundant life that you came to forgive and to give us. Amen.